Hello, and you're very welcome to another dollop of, and I quote, hilarious and informative radio broadcasting. It could only be the Sunday Breakfast Show on Dublin City FM, with yours truly, Patrick Doyle. And by the way, I'm now one year older. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sort of breakfast programme. Time checks and traffic bulletins are banned. However, I will keep a jovial tone throughout, and may even occasionally ask, How are you? With the intonation of a broadcaster who cares about you, and portrays the everyman qualities needed for this early morning jaunt. I must be honest with you, there is quite a bit to discuss regarding the programme today. So I shall tell you all about that after some very fine music. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a very good morning to you and welcome to the Sunday Breakfast Show. Well, hello to you and good morning. Let me tell you all about the week that was for me. I'm sure you've had a wonderful week. I have had a interesting week. Yes, yes, that you do. Let's go back to last Monday. Whilst fetching my glasses, which were in my bedroom, I happened to trip on the stairs, nearly toppling over. I must be completely honest with you, I don't really trust the stairs. They're always up to something. Now, on Wednesday, after taking all of Tuesday to recover from that, I bought myself a newspaper at the tail end of my mid-morning walk and read an article with all sorts of conspiracy theories and rumours about butter. Oh, the article, it was terribly horrid. Rumours about butter. Well, don't worry about me, I'm not going to spread it. And fast-forwarding to Saturday, yesterday, I received a gift for my birthday from the postman of all people. I suppose I ought to remember it is the thought that counts. But honestly, it's difficult to think positively about somebody who buys you a pencil. A pencil with two erasers. Utterly pointless. Well, folks, I can't imagine your week being any more exciting than that. Ladies and gentlemen, on the phone line right now is a gentleman who very much puts the sex in Sussex. His name is Sir Peter Crimplesham. He is the first Earl of Wilmington. I knew him many years ago. He threatened to always get in touch with this programme and never has. However, this morning... He is out watching a cricket match in Sussex, and he has taken it upon himself to want to phone the programme. Naturally, when Sir Peter calls, we pick up the phone. And this morning he wanted to talk to us about something regarding Dominic Cummings, the chief advisor to the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Well, good morning to you, Sir Peter, First Earl of Wilmington. Good morning to you, Sir Peter. Can you hear me? <coughs> yes. Hello? Hello there, Sir Peter. Yes. Uh, Peter, Sir Peter, you, you're watching 
Sir Peter, you're watching a cricket game at the moment. Oh, um, well, I'm, yes, among, among other things. I'm talking to you. Yes, indeed. Talking now, to you, actually. Sir Peter, you wanted to call us this morning because you have a slight problem, issue, concern with uh, Dominic Cummings. I, I have a slight issue. I, I agreed. I agreed to talk to you. I, I don't know if I wanted. Um, bloody tuck in your shirt. Bloody. So, um, is Dominic Cummings, well, a dreadful fellow. A lot of, um, I'm sure you've heard the controversial story about, about, about Cummings, right? Oh, well, and now I must just warn you, Sir Peter, we must at all times remain impartial here at Dublin City FM, so please be brief and to the point. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, as the bloody um, chairman of the Daily Mail, I still can't get this piece into the into the papers. Um, influences rather on the wane. Um, so that bloody Cummings fellow has been a disaster for the Tory Party. A bloody disaster. I, in in the communal kitchen in Westminster, my I brought in a, a sandwich the other day, which I I placed in the fridge. And I um, came back later on. It was a um, delicious, you know, delicious sandwich. I was very looking, looking forward to it, made of uh, made of falafel and other things. I didn't quite know what they were, but the, the cooks, the cooks, Middle Eastern, so that's fine. And the bloody sandwich is missing. Bloody sandwich is missing. Feta cheese as well. Actually, was it? Uh, yes. Now, bloody Irish fell on the phone. <laughs> uh, and what else? Uh, and the sandwich is gone. Sandra's gone. Right, what are you and saying now, sir? Sorry, I must stop you, Sir Peter. What are you now saying about Dominic Cummings? I'm saying that bloody Cummings going around Westminster with the smell of bloody chickpeas on his breath. Right, okay. Well, thank you very much, Sir Peter. We must cut him off there before he says anything that will get us into trouble. I just can't on this programme have anybody speak ill of chickpeas like that and think they can just get away with it. Honestly. What kind of programme do you think this is? Huh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, every now and then, for Dublin City FM, I like to create a documentary. A chance for me to go outside and really explore this planet Earth of ours and report it back, normally for other programmes and now and then for this one. It is simply entitled Doyle's Documentary. Now, I must warn you, I don't edit this. I simply go out and record it and it goes to the powers that be here at Dublin City FM and... They go and edit it, and then it goes directly to air. Now, very recently, I went to visit some seals and report on them for you. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, for Doyle's Documentary. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and you join me at the local zoo. I'm here with the sea lions, and, you know, the funny thing is that sea lions can sleep underwater. Yes, that's right, and usually only... Sorry, Philip, will you get that pigeon away from me, please? I'm trying to record... Philip, would you get the pigeon away? Move him away! I can't record this if there's a pigeon wandering around. <clears throat> Let me try that again. You know, the funny thing is that sea lions can sleep underwater, usually only coming up to land. Philip, he's right there beside me. I can't do the report if he's there beside me. Would you move him away? God! Good God! Horrible little creature. And breathe. Let me try that again. 
You know, ladies and gentlemen, seals can sleep underwater and usually only come on land to escape predators like, for example, whales and shark villages right there. Rick, would you move him away? You horrible little creature. Would you move him away? I can't do this report because of him. Oh, God almighty, that's disgusting. I'm terribly sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That is not the documentary I recorded. Something got mixed up or muddled in, 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 in transit. I, uh, that never happened. You never heard anything. Good morning, everyone. Welcome along to the Sunday Breakfast Show. If you have just tuned in, if you have just woken up, it is the 22nd of November. I'm only telling you that on the off chance that you're far too lethargic to bother looking at your phone and finding out for yourself what date it is. Well, I may give you the date, but one thing I'm not going to give you is the time. So you're not going to find me. No, 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 no. You're not going to find me telling you the time. Not happening here. I must tell you I would bang my fist on the table to punctuate that sentence if only there were better acoustics in this room. But there's not. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. But all the same, you may laugh. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for something spooky. Something just a little bit scary. Something to do with ghosts. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Who Ghost There now begins. My job is quite simple. I help a listener with an issue they're having with a ghost. I offer them some advice on how to get rid of that ghost that is terrifying them. And it falls under the realm of public service broadcasting. I'm not completely indulging myself. Let us take a look at this week's correspondence. Dear Mr. Doyle, I am being driven mad, mad I tell you by a poltergeist. I bought a lockbox after forgetting my keys one time too many. But now I find the keys I leave in it keep appearing on my kitchen table. Time and time again. I then put them in the locked post box outside my door instead, and yet, yet they appear on my kitchen table. And the worst part is that whenever I notice them there, I hear a faint drum roll and cheer of, ta-da! What is going on here? Yours, Upton Sinclair, from County Clare. I think I can help you. 
Now, Upton, you must come a little bit closer to the radio. Firstly, I should say good morning to you, Mr. Sinclair and County Clare. It is nice to see my skill in these matters has spread beyond the Hibernian metropolis. Now, I have carefully weighed the evidence in your case and can tell you that you are being haunted by the ghost of Harry Houdini. Now, the best way to get Houdini to leave you alone is to outrage his sense of what is and what is not magic. Simply say every time you are near the lockbox or in your kitchen, Ha! Escaping? That's nothing. Staying put forever like David Blaine does now, that's, that's real magic. And within hours, Houdini will leave your premises. I wish you the best of luck, Mr. Sinclair. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's edition of Who Ghost There? Yes, this is a silly story, worthy of the Isles of Silly Award for Untold Silliness. And remember, folks, I have to try and write a poem about it for the poetry predicament. Listen to this. Come a little closer to the wireless. Officials at an Ontario library said a book recently dropped into its return bin is believed to be up to 100 years overdue. The Fergus Library said a copy of this Charles Dickens book was recently dropped into the book return bin by an anonymous person. Obviously. Library officials said they don't have records of the book, but it bears a Fergus Library nameplate inside the cover, indicating it might have been from the facility's original collection when it opened in the 1900s. Officials said they aren't sure of when the book was last checked out. We're guessing, and here's a quote, from 100 to maybe 50 years ago, Chief Librarian Rebecca Hine told CTV News. Hine said there are no clues to be found in the book. Right on the nameplate in the book, it does say two cents a day. Hine said, I did a little bit of research and it looks probably like it could have been from maybe around 1940, as that was the going rate back then. Hines said that if the book was checked out in 1941, it would have accrued late fees of about $580 at the two cents per rate day. Officials said they have no intention of trying to find the person who checked the book out to charge the fees. However, the book will be put on display to celebrate the library's history, officials said. And here again is another quote. It's really cool to have that sort of connection to the past and that connection to the community, branch supervisor Kirsten Mackey said. Lots of us book nerds think it's really neat to have an old book like that around. And imagine who's read it, Mackey said. Well, that is this morning's winner of the Isles of Silly Award for Untold Silliness. And now it is time for my poetry predicament. I have three minutes or so to try and write a piece of poetry all about 
an overdue library book. Hmm. Well, wish me luck. Here is my little poetry endeavour. This morning's effort is entitled The Book. I open the book. I fix my tie. It is important to do precisely that. At the very least, I ought to show some respect. I put a new marker down, page 47, just in case I fall asleep or are taken away. The dust of those gone creep out from behind each letter. I have so much to do. Yet, I cannot throw away the old. This is the work of a complicated fellow. No, no. No, no. This is the complicated work of a woman. The words are precisely, delicately chosen. I cannot push myself away. No, no. No, no. I cannot throw it away just yet. The exactness is so curious. The smell is so curious. No, no. No, no, I simply cannot throw you away. What do you think? Too kind. Far, far too kind. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Ireland's only Elizabethan and Jacobean quiz on the radio. Two contestants on the phone, and they both have a chance to win four euro this morning. All they have to do is listen to a very famous monologue from a Shakespearean play and try and guess who is the speaker, what act and scene are they speaking in, and most importantly, what is the play? It is time for Play on Words. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Please take your seats. This evening's performance is about to begin. Thank you. Five, four, three, two... This morning's play on words is as follows. If love be rough with you, be rough with love. Prick love for pricking, and you beat love down. Give me a case to put my massage in, a visor for a visor. What care I what curious eye doth quote deformities? Here, where the beetle brows shall blush for me. Ladies and gentlemen, we can now speak to our contestants for this week's Play on Words. And let us go now to the phone lines and speak to our very first contestant on this morning's Play on Words. Good morning, Spencer Compton in Halifax in the United Kingdom. Uh, Hello, sir. Good morning to you. How are you? 
I'm not not bad. Not bad. And, and, and yourself? Very well, thank you. And thank you very much for calling in and taking part in Play on Words. Now, you heard the monologue there. What Shakespearean play do you think it's from? What part of the play is it from? And which character do you, do you think is speaking? Well, we're just, we're just listening to the words there and I was trying to remember, you know, see if there were any clues. There was a bit of talk about... Towards the end, there was, he was talking about, I think you said it was a beetle brow. I've heard of beetle boots and I've heard of a, a beetle wig. But I don't know about a beetle brow. It was, it was well after Shakespeare's time. Maybe the Beatles got the name from that. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to press you for an answer here. The play, um, Coriolanus and um, uh, Coriolanus. No, I'm afraid that is not the correct answer. I'm terribly sorry. Thank you very much, Mr. Spencer Compton, for taking part this morning. We now can go live to... Is it line two? It is line two. Good morning, line two. Who's this? Good morning, Joe Patrick. This is uh, Martin Pop here. How are oh, you? It is Martin Pop. Martin, we didn't, we didn't have your name written down. Now I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for calling in this morning. Oh, you're very welcome, um, Patrick. I, I, I was, I was called by your researcher, Lauren, so they should have known my name. They should have. They should have. Yes, you're quite right. They should have, but they didn't write it down for me anyway anyway martin you had a chance to hear to find good help these days no it's true it's true now you heard the monologue who do you think spoke those words what play is it from and what part of the play is it from well well patrick i i, I mean obviously like i i'm we can get to that in a moment um but are you sure that all your staff they dublin city fm are doing the correct job you know i don't know i don't know if i'm honest with you you know, the fact that your name wasn't written down, the fact that I just opened up line two and was hoping for the best, it isn't good enough, really, is it? No, it's not. It's not um, at all, really. No, I'm not happy with that. Might I just uh, ask you... Yes, might I just ask you for any possible suggestions as to what you think I should do? Um, I think you should perhaps speak, speak very harshly to them. Right. And make them maybe sit in a corner. Mm-hmm. And, and face into the in, face into the corner, and to think about what they've done. And this has worked for you in the past, has it? Um, no, but just um, it was done to me as a child, and I, I, it, I, well, I'm the man I am today as a result. Right. Okay. I'm just writing this down. Thank you very much for that, Martin. Now, back to the quiz, please. Oh yes, the, the quiz. So. I, I'm, I'm a little bit hazy. I didn't really recognise the, the quote all that well, but I. I think perhaps it was it was Romeo and Juliet with Mercutio speaking from Act One, Scene Four. I'm sorry. I, I, I no, Martin. Martin. Specific. That's correct. Well done. Oh, I, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. You've done it again. You've done it again. Oh, I didn't know I was going to get that one. Yes, I'm. I must say, I. I, uh, I should never have doubted you. You have four euro coming your way for getting that correct. Four euros, yes. Well, actually, this is another thing to talk to your staff about. I still haven't received my, my money from last week. Oh, and all the previous we're losing time. him there. It's awful. When that ha- Every time he talks about money, we just lose him. Martin, thank you, though, very much for taking part this morning. And at the very same time, next week, we will have another edition of Play on Words. <laughs>
I have correspondence here. It is a letter that was sent in from a listener by the name of Berth Novisham, a darling of the Dublin theatre scene, certainly Ireland's most renowned casting director. Now, Bertha has gotten in touch regarding my listenership in general. She wrote to me of her dismay, her dismay at, and I quote, the god-awful names your listeners have. She goes on to write, Might I offer your listeners new names should they wish to get on with their lives and achieve greatness? Bertha has provided a list of three names, just three names you must adopt again if you wish to make progress in your life. These particular anagrams of Bertha all relate to a phrase that she, and I stress she, has come up with. Her phrase today, in which we shall get our names from, is annoying vegans. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 it's not particularly funny at all. Vegans are not annoying. (laughs) Stop that. If you are listening and you are a vegan and you feel slightly diminished, I must apologise to you. And so, from the phrase, annoying vegans, we get these three anagrams that you can use as stage names as you go forth in life. At number three it is... Sunny Van Aging. At number two... Ninny Gaga Ovens. And at number one... Nosegay Vanning. Do with those anagrams as you wish. It is time for this morning's fairy tale. Once upon a time, there lived a little tiny chair. This little chair was grey all over and always remained in the corner of the room it lived in. The room was part of a house owned by a large family called the Addingtons. They had four children, all girls and all under the age of seven. For some reason, the Addington girls never seemed to want to sit on the little grey chair. They didn't speak ill of it. They just simply ignored it. The other chairs in the room did enjoy being sat on and always reminded the little grey chair how it wasn't a very popular colour and it wasn't a very popular chair. Yes, even chairs can be that cruel to one another. As I'm sure you can imagine, the little grey chair felt terrible. It wished it was yellow. It wished it was red. It wished it was a blue chair like all the other popular chairs. One Saturday, after being ignored for the whole day by the children and being reminded of it by the other chairs in the playroom, the little grey chair wept in the corner. The curious thing is that you don't normally hear it when chairs laugh or cry. But for some unknown reason, the youngest Addington girl was walking by the playroom and heard the gentle sobbing from within. Very curious to see where the sobbing was coming from, she entered the room. She couldn't see anybody crying. How odd, she thought. There's nobody here. And yet, the sobbing continues. She reasoned that it was coming from the corner of the room. That corner of the room. Yes, exactly, the very one that you've just pointed to. The corner of the room where the little grey chair was. The little Addington girl walked over and gently touched the chair and whispered, Little chair, 
Is that you crying? The little grey chair, suddenly realising it had been heard, froze. The little girl repeated herself, and now the little grey chair replied softly, Yes. To which the little girl responded, Why? The little grey chair explained why. After hearing what the chair had to say, the little Addington girl gave the chair a big hug and said, It's always good to say how you feel. I do wish you had said it sooner, though. Those other nasty chairs are uncomfortable anyway, and very distracting with their bright colours. And with that she swiftly moved the little grey chair out of the corner, and she went over to all the other colourful chairs and stacked them up on top of each other and put them in the corner of the room where the little grey chair had been. Now you would be correct in thinking that after moving the little grey chair out, there was only one place where she could put it, right in the centre of the playroom. After giving the little grey chair another hug, she whispered to it, From now on you will be in the front and centre of the playroom, and I promise you that you will no longer feel sad again. The little grey chair, for the first time in its life, felt wanted and loved. Would you believe it if I told you that chairs can actually smile? If you look hard enough, you'll see it. But you have to really stare. Well, after all of this, the little grey chair certainly did. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening this morning. I do hope you've managed to find something during the programme that at the very least made you make a face that sort of resembles a smile. Now I shall speak with you next week at the very same time on the very same channel. So for me, Patrick Doyle, to whoever you are, goodbye. Goodbye.